Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Last week, it was, uh, I mean, we did the same thing over at Ilkeston. So for these next four or five weeks, we're mirroring services. So the message I'm going to preach today, Christian and I put together, together, um, because this series of what it's like to be around here is so important. I don't know about you, but there's certain things I want in my house and certain things I don't want in my house. Yeah, anybody? So for me, like, I don't want Liverpool fans in my house. (laughs) You you see what I'm saying? I am a Man United fan, right? Okay, we are going to win the league, even though Zlatan's left us. Don't worry, we're going to do that. But in all seriousness, there are certain things that I do want in my house and certain things I don't want. There are certain attitudes I want in my house and certain attitudes I don't want in my house. And that's what this series is about, but for Arena. There are certain things that we want here and certain things, to be quite honest, that we don't want. And last week, we addressed some of the things that we don't want. So rejection, control, offence, and religion. See, those things, what they do is they cause disunity. And what we believe in Arena is this, that where there's unity, God commands the blessing. Psalm 133, the Bible says, and you know what we need more than anything? God's blessing. Hey, as I preach today, feel free to shout me down, interact. What is the hallmark of someone who's alive? Noise, activity, life. And listen, if you like what I'm saying, feel free to say, hey, that's good or whatever. If you don't like it, say it even more because I'll preach even better. But today I'm going to speak about discipleship. As I said, Christian's going to be speaking about this as well. This is one of the the big things of Arena. You cut us to our core and we are committed to discipleship. I think the word disciple has lost some of its power like today because of its religious connotation. I don't really think that people take a second to understand what discipleship means because all they think when they hear the word disciple is church. But the Greek word for disciple is this, it's methetes, which means a learner, a disciple, a follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of scripture and the lifestyle they require. See, Jesus never intended this word to be a religious word. This was a word that was supposed to define his followers, those people who loved him the most. This word was back in the day powerful. And I believe for us at Arena, this word again should be powerful. See, if we're to go on the journey with Jesus, our calling first and foremost is to discipleship, is to be a learner, is to be a follower of Jesus. See, my first call in my life is not to be a business owner. My first call is not to be a preacher. My first call is not to be a leader. It is to be a disciple. See, we're all called to be disciples first. I don't know about you, but what I see in our world today is that we love celebrity. Yeah, anybody? If, um, if David Beckham was sat in the front row this morning, I think a few more people would be trying to sit near the front. You know, the front seats wouldn't be the first uh, to, you know, the last to go. We, we love celebrity, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it may be. We love connecting with those celebrities, looking at the photos, looking at what they're saying and all that stuff. And uh, look, that's not a bad thing, but I, I think the problem we have with that at times is that we carry that into our relationship with Jesus. And instead of becoming followers of Jesus, I think sometimes we're just fans of him. See, a fan will stand around and say, hey, 
oh, I, I like that, that's cool, that's good, what a great guy. But a follower gets stuck in. See, fans are fickle, followers stick around. Fans move on, followers lay down their lives. Fans have numerous loyalties, followers are loyal to one. Fans look on, followers get stuck in. We aren't called to be fans, we're called to be followers. I want to ask you today, are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower? Today we're going to explore what discipleship looks like today in the 21st century. So let's go to our first Bible verse, Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. I love this verse. One of my favorite passages of scripture in the entire Bible says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was sure, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anyone, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I love that. We're going to just draw a parallel to Mark 10, verse 17 to 25. It says this. As he went out onto the street, talking about Jesus, a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, Why are you calling me good? No one's good, only God. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. He said, Teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. He said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Now, we'll come back to those in a second, but have you ever had a boss who demands everything and gives nothing? Anybody? Yeah, anybody had a boss like that? I hope there's no arena staff putting your hands up. I will tell Christian. Christine, put your hand out. Christine's there. She's got both hands up down the front. She just stood up. <laughs> but has anybody ever had a boss like that? The boss who they always want an extra hour. They always want that extra bit of time. They expect you to, to answer your emails at stupid times of the day. When you go on holiday, you're not off the hook either because that boss wants everything. And worse than that is that they won't give anything back in return. I, I, I hate bosses like that. Or, I mean, for you, have you ever had a friend who, who again, they want everything from you, but they don't want to give everything in return? They, they just want to take, take, take. 
They're not that bothered about you. They just want to tell you, uh, tell you about their issues and their problems. I think we can probably all relate to either one of the two situations. See, I, I think the problem is that Jesus can come across like this. It can seem like he wants everything from us, like too much. I, I see this man, like the rich young ruler. I like this guy. I think he seems like a good guy to me. He's my kind of guy. He's done well for himself. I'm sure he built a great business. He, and he wants to know Jesus. Like, I'm like, this guy is ticking all of the boxes. Like, we see from the interaction with Jesus that this man had it together. He'd been doing the right things throughout his life. He had lived a good life. He'd done the right things. But then Jesus has the audacity to tell him to give everything away. That's, that's is crazy. I mean, come on, let's not over-spiritualize this. I know we read the Bible with rose-tinted spectacles like we are Jesus himself. But the reality is, if Jesus came to you today and said, hey, I want you to give your house away, or hey, I want you to give your car away, or hey, I want you to drain that savings account and give it to that person, I think we'd be a bit like, uh, yeah, Jesus, like, I, I need my house to live. I need my car to get to work. Don't you know how like, long I've waited for those savings? Anybody? Yes? You see what I'm saying? Yeah? So let's not read the Bible like where Jesus himself, this was a big ask. Jesus was asking so much of this man. And Jesus turns him away. See, and then we have this other account, the account of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. It just makes no sense to me. It makes no sense whatsoever because this man Zacchaeus, we understand he's not just a tax collector, but he's a chief tax collector. And what you have to know about the the tax collectors of the day, they were the worst of the worst. They were stealing from their own people to number one, line their own pockets, and number two, give to the Roman Empire. So people hated them. No one likes a snitch, do they? No. And, And that's what these guys kind of were. But Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. He wasn't just stealing from people. Zacchaeus had people stealing on behalf of him. I'm sure this man Zacchaeus had kicked people out of their homes. I'm sure this man Zacchaeus had stopped families going without food. I'm sure this man Zacchaeus had had people maybe roughed up and beaten up because he was a debt collector really. This was a bad man. This was not a good man. But I don't know about you. But I'm glad that Jesus sees something different to what I see. And Jesus sees something different in this man. See, the reason I highlight these two stories is because I believe it shows us what true discipleship boils down to. Offering everything to God. See, when it comes to being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, there can be no areas off limits, no compartments or segments of your life that he isn't allowed to touch. He must have access all areas. He wants to be invited into your mess. Like Jared said, God is not afraid of your mess. God is not afraid of what's going wrong in your life. Actually, what he doesn't like is when you hide it from him. He wants to be invited into your mess. So you might say that that wealth was the rich young ruler's issue, but it wasn't. It just wasn't because guess what? Zacchaeus was rich as well. It says he was wealthy. 
So these guys were the guys in the Gucci loafers rolling up to church in the Rolls Royce. These guys had the Armani suits on. These were both wealthy people. See, the difference was their relationship with money. One was willing to give it all away and one left sad because he was holding on tightly to many things. What are you holding on tightly to today that you won't give to God? Might not be money. Might be that relationship. Might be that issue. Might be that anger. Might be that hurt. See, I believe that Zacchaeus' transformation shows us what true discipleship looks like. This interaction we see with Zacchaeus and Jesus, I believe it shows us what true discipleship is all about. So we're going to pick some things from this. My first point is this. Discipleship starts with the need of someone or something greater. It is clear to see that Zacchaeus has highlighted the need of something bigger than him. I believe we first encounter Zacchaeus at the low point of his life. I think he's empty, he's broken, he's filled with self-reproach. I believe he hates himself. I think he's struggling from the way he's lived his life. Because it's very clear as well that this is an unpopular man. People don't like him. People respect him because of his position and what he can do, but people do not like him. This is a lonely man. This is a man probably who's only surrounded with people who want to be with him because of his wealth and because of his power. This is a man, I believe, who's desperate, who's hurt, who's broken. See, I think we see that he has to be desperate because he climbed the tree. I think first and foremost, for him to walk into a crowd, I don't think that would have been standard procedure for Zacchaeus because of the people who hated him. But secondly, for him to climb a tree, he just made himself look completely stupid. I mean, just imagine you going out to the park one day and your boss was up a tree hanging up there. You'd be like, what? Wait, this guy's lost his mind. <laughs> like, to his face, you might be like, hey, have a great day. And then you're walking away with your wife like, he's completely lost the plot. <laughs> I think Zacchaeus made himself look stupid. He put himself in a place where he looked absolutely ridiculous, but he didn't care because he was desperate. He wanted to see Jesus. He needed to see Jesus. So he jumped up that tree, even while people were saying things about him, even while people were looking on, even while people were around and they hated him. He climbed this tree because he needed Jesus. See, I think he'd heard about how Jesus can change. I think he'd heard about how this Jesus had been healing people. I think he'd heard about how people had come into contact with this Jesus and left completely different. I think he was at a place where he'd do anything to calm the storm in his soul. Have you ever been there? Where there's just a storm in your soul, it's raging in your soul and you can't quiet it. There's nothing you can do to stop it and it's just going and you're just not at peace and you're just restless all the time. I think that's where Zacchaeus was. And if you're like that today, I believe Jesus can help you like he did Zacchaeus. See, discipleship starts with the realization that I'm not the best candidate to take the wheel of my life. Real discipleship comes from brokenness, understanding that I'm no longer the best person to be in control of my life, but Jesus is. 
Matthew 5 verse 3 says this, You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. I've seen people be Christians their entire lives but can never step into all God has for them because they aren't willing to give God the reins of their life. See, this takes faith. But if he's the God of heaven and earth, the God that we sing about, the God of the impossible, the one who made us, the one who's outside of time, the one who knows it all, then surely he is best suited for the control of our lives. I think it's a bit like this. If someone came to me and held a gun to my head and said, Josh, if this ball doesn't go in the back of this net, you've got a penalty. If the ball doesn't go in the back of the net, you're going to die, right? But here's the thing. You can take the penalty or Cristiano Ronaldo can take the penalty. What we do is kind of like this. Me walking up and saying, don't worry, Cristiano, I've got this. Yeah? (laughs) Stupid, crazy, ridiculous. But this is what we do with our lives. God, the author of heaven and earth, the one who made us, the one who understands time, not from the linear fashion that we do, but from from all different angles, the one who sees time, what's going to happen and knows what has happened in the past. Surely... He's the best one to take control of our lives. See, if you live your life trying to take back the control, I believe you fall fall far short of God's best for you. But as you give up control, you'll see him do far more through you than you can ask, think, or imagine. Ephesians 3.20. The next thing is this. Discipleship comes through relationship. I love the picture that's painted in this passage. Zacchaeus is searching for something bigger than himself. And when Jesus walks over to the bottom of the tree, I think Zacchaeus' heart is pounding. Now, we have a policeman in the audience, so I'm going to be careful. But you may or may not have sped before in your life. Yeah, on the motorway, like some people might have gone 71. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Don't tell Paul. But, If you have been doing like, let's say even 72 on the motorway and you're driving down and you see the blue and white flashing lights coming behind you like, oh my word, I'm going to get pulled over. You know, your heart's pounding. You're like, oh no, I'm going to have to pay the fine, etc., etc. This is going to be a nightmare. I think this is what Zacchaeus was like when Jesus was approaching where Zacchaeus was. I think he saw him coming over and he's like, oh no. He's He's going to dress me down in front of the crowd. He's going to tell me off. Oh no, this is, this is awful. This is the worst thing ever. With every step that, that Jesus took towards Zacchaeus' tree, I believe Zacchaeus was getting more and more anxious about what was about to happen. See, I think we're like this at times with God, that what we expect is for God to come and give us a telling off. Something that I see in the world is that I believe that the world thinks God's mad at them, that God's angry at them. It's a lie. God loves you. God loves the world. What does John 3.16 say? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then if you flip over to that verse in Romans, it says, while we were still sinners, not when we had it all together, not when we were perfect, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves the world. God loves us. And Zacchaeus here is expecting a telling off. But what Jesus does is revolutionary. He asks Zacchaeus if they can have food together. People are in uproar. We see, it says, some people are saying, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
What is this Jesus? People were expecting Jesus to dress Zacchaeus down and hey, guess what? He deserved it. But Jesus does something far different. He proceeds to have food with Zacchaeus. He starts a relationship with him. And from this relationship, Zacchaeus is changed forever. Jesus didn't preach. He didn't tear strips off of him in front of the crowd. He took time to talk to him. And on the back of this, Zacchaeus is transformed. This is what I've found in my life. That Jesus' main agenda is to get to know me. That Jesus' main agenda is for me to know him. He wants a relationship with me. And then through that relationship, I become more like him. There are times that he has hard things to say to me, things that I need help with. But that's discipleship and that's how I grow. My little boy, he wants chocolate all the time. He just says, chuck, 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 chuck. But if I gave my little boy chocolate all the time, we all know that that would not be healthy and that would not be good for him. If my little boy wants to go and touch the fire, what will I do? I'll say, no, I'll discipline him because I want what's best for him. God's the same with us. God doesn't want you not to do certain things because he wants to spoil your fun. God does it because he wants the best for you. If you preface everything with John 10, 10, I came to give you life and life in more, more abundantly, then you'll understand what God thinks and why God's saying certain, certain things to you. He, he tells you to stay away from certain things because he wants you to step into that abundant life that he's called you to. So I accept God's correction because he knows what's best. I don't have a com- uh, an authority complex in my life. He's first, I'm second, what he says goes. See, I'm sure Jesus highlighted some of the stuff that Zacchaeus was doing that wasn't good, but he did it from relationship and love. And that's what Jesus wants to do in you. He wants to change you through relationship, not into someone else, but back into you, who he created you to be before time began. I said this a few weeks ago, but everyone thinks that God's trying to change them into someone else. It's not true. What does the Bible say? You were created in the image of God. You were created perfect. The problem is this, you entered an imperfect world. And as soon as we enter that imperfect world, we are imperfect, unfortunately. And what God wants to do is take away the imperfections and turn you back into who he created you to be before time began. See, I also love that there wasn't just Jesus and Zacchaeus in this interaction. It wasn't just those two. There was a group, wasn't there? It was almost like a small group. It was a meal. It was a, it was a feast. And I, I love that because, again, we see that Jesus doesn't want us to live life on our own, but he wants us to live life in a small group, in a group. See, the way we facilitate discipleship at Arena Church is through small groups. I'm sorry, but Christian can't disciple us all. Stephen can't disciple us all. I can't disciple us all, even if I wanted to. But the way we do it in arena is in small groups. See, we were created for relationship with God and man. Genesis, what does, God, uh, what does God say? It's not good for man to be alone. We were created to be in relationship. See, in my life, I've changed through accountability to God and accountability to man. That's the way I've changed. See, we need a tight group of people around us who will call us to something bigger. A group who will challenge us to live God's way. Have you got that? Or are your group pulling you away from God? Commit to a relationship with Jesus. You'll be changed 
forever. The next thing I see is this. Discipleship only works where there is revelation. The first two words out of Zacchaeus' mouth, the words that he decides to use, I believe, are so important and they tell us so much. What are the words? Look, Lord. Look, Lord. See, he's come to a revelation that Jesus is Lord. Again, we take these words for granted because maybe we've read them so many times or we're reading them through rose-tinted spectacles or we're reading them with the knowledge that we already have. But these words were revolutionary because Jesus wasn't walking around as the saviour at this point. He was walking around as a teacher, as a rabbi. People thought he was a rabbi. People thought he was a good teacher. People thought he was a good man. Some people even dared to say that he was a prophet. But Zacchaeus had come to a revelation that Jesus is Lord. See, this revelation that Jesus is Lord changes everything. It's impossible for discipleship to work where there's no revelation of who Jesus is. We've got to understand that he died for us, that he rose again for us, and that he forgives us of our sins. As Romans 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you can't give the control of your life to someone who you can't trust. A revelation of Jesus empowers us to trust him no matter what. So this doesn't mean we don't have doubts or blips in our faith, but it does mean that through it all, we choose to believe that he has it under control. See, Zacchaeus had come to the revelation of Jesus being Lord, and this is why he could call him Lord. He'd seen something bigger. He'd come into contact with Jesus. That old adage is so true. I've said it a few times. But if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. See, disciples understand that Jesus has to be the center of it all. He has to be our foundation. He has to be our refuge. He has to be first, front, and central in our lives. He has to be the one we turn to when things aren't going right. He has to be our first response. How do we do this? By prayer, by talking to him. Where do you go first in crisis? Do you go to Facebook? Do you, do you text that friend? Do you go to that WhatsApp group? Or do you go to God? You make him Lord of your life by valuing his voice over all others. <clears throat> and lastly, the hallmark of discipleship is a life changed where the rich young ruler walked away because he was holding on tightly to a lot of things, Zacchaeus was transformed by Jesus. He stood up and his announcement clearly shows that he's a different man. What does he say? He says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This guy who lived his life to amass wealth, his whole life had been about building that bank balance. He's now giving his wealth away. But he's not just giving the bare minimum because I don't know about you because it's good to, you know, sometimes we like to bargain with God, don't we? And God's like, give your house away. I'm like, yeah, I'll give my shed. Because <laughs> Zacchaeus, it would have been easy for him to say, you know what, God, Jesus, I've got it. Everything that I've stolen, I'll give back. But he doesn't do the bare minimum, does he? He goes above and beyond. What does he say? He said, look, uh, I give half my possessions to the poor. 
And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay four times the amount. This is a man who's changed. See, discipleship always leads to change. Please don't tell me you're a disciple if you're exactly the same person you were three years ago. See, when you come into contact with Jesus, when you have a relationship with Jesus, you can't help but change. We see it throughout the Bible that when people get to know Jesus, when people get around Jesus, they are changed forever. See, I want to be better in six months. I want to be better in a year. I want to be a different person in five years. See, I don't want to stay the same because disciples change. The reality is, though, that Jesus makes crazy requests of disciples at times. For the rich young ruler, it it was frankly too much. For you, it might be a call to ministry. For someone else, it could be a call to build a great business. For someone else, it's a call to serve your office. See, all these callings are great. They're just different. Some people are called to stand on the stage. Some people are called to stand in their workplace and point people to Jesus. That's a good thing. What you need to understand, though, if you are in this place today, you are called to be a minister of Christ. We are all called to be ministers, not just people who stand on the stage, not just Nathan because he led the service, not just Jared because he took us through communion. We are all called to be ministers of Christ in that workplace, in that school, in that friendship group, in that family. We are called to take Jesus into those places. So he may be calling you to bless someone financially. He may be calling you to bring reconciliation. He might be calling you to go and serve another nation. He might be calling you to go and love that lonely person in your community. Our calling, what God asks of us is different, but what he calls us to is the same. Total surrender. Total surrender. What's God been asking of you that you've been saying no to? What's God been saying to you that you've said, frankly, you've said no to? Or you've tried to bargain with him? And I know people are looking down because this is awkward. <laughs> Sorry, this isn't like a, a rah-rah, come on guys, message. But hey, let's say yes to God. I don't want there to be areas in my life where I'm saying no to God. I need to be challenged more and more by this. See, we need disciples in our world who will change their world through supernatural acts of followership. It's easy to pray for a revival. It's hard to be a revival. And I think we've been all right at praying for revival. I don't know if we've been too good at being revival. See, being revival means that we go into that workplace and we're ready to see people change through Jesus, through us. See, a fan stands back and watches. A follower gets involved. Jesus wants to involve you in his redemptive plan for the world. The way the world's changed is by the church coming together, united by his power at work in us, and then taking that into the world. We're called to stand out and shine. See, the church should set the moral standard for the day. The way we live our lives should challenge the way that people live theirs. We should be more loving, more generous, more hospitable, more kind, more forgiving, more gracious because of the person that we follow. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you like Zacchaeus 
or are you like the rich young ruler? See, the rich young ruler, like Jesus, he went to him and, and said, look, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He, he liked Jesus. See, I know there's people in here today, you like church, you like coming in, you like saying hello to your friends, etc., etc. It's good. Yeah, that Jesus is a cool guy. I, I like what he says. But a disciple goes far more than that, far deeper. I like that what that Jesus says, or sometimes I don't like what Jesus says, but because he says it, I'm going to put it into my life. That's discipleship.